Good morning. My name is Brian Telzero, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the privilege of bringing God's word to us today. So will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Amen. I have a question to start out for today. If I asked you this question, how many of you would know what I'm talking about? Or the statement. Tonight, we're having company. You know what I'm talking about. Not everybody does. I understand. This concept of company. My parents used to tell us we're having company tonight. Which meant for my three brothers and I, we had to clean the house. Because people were coming over. Uh, And we had to get the house just right for the company that was coming. And uh, I did a little bit of research and thinking, okay, where did this word company come from? Uh, And most of the reflections are that the company is really defined of being in the presence of another person or another entity, perhaps. And so if you're having company, that means you're having more than just yourself uh, being present with each other. Uh, And so as you think about people gathering and having company together, you're usually doing that with somebody you enjoy. Uh, and you're looking forward to enjoy the company of somebody else. Uh, and so you have some gatherings are part of just the way that we do life. Well, in my years of teaching youth ministry at Kuiper College, uh, I used to talk to my students quite a bit about entering into the space and the place, and in my context with youth ministry, wherever adolescents were. And school were the, was the most common place that we would try to gain entrance in and be, be a presence around that school as much as we possibly can. Well, this day has changed uh, a lot. Uh, it's not as easy to gain access to schools anymore because of all the things that have happened uh, in our environment. And so now we've got to be a little bit more creative about entering into the spaces where adolescents are hanging out. Uh, and so places maybe where they work or perhaps after school where there's practices or perhaps games, uh, looking for any ways that we could be part of the fabric of their lives. And so when I was single, I used to show up to some of my kids' houses right around 5 o'clock, 5.30, just to hang out. And oftentimes, I would get invited to dinner. Oh, Oh, sure, I would love to. I don't have anything else going on. So I became company uh, for folks in the context of doing life with folks. So the intent there was to try to be as intentional of entering into the adolescent world wherever we could to become part of the fabric of their lives. And I was reminded of a situation uh, that I uh, had years and years ago when I was the youth pastor here because I ran into one of our old youth group kids. Uh, And we talked a little bit about reminiscing of that experience. And I remember uh, Dan had talked to me about uh, being a hunter. Uh, in fact, we're, we're on the precipice of the uh, hunting season, although if you're a bow hunter, you're still in the midst of it. Uh, but uh, rather, uh, the hunting season was happening. He was a big hunter. And he also said that he got into taxidermy. And I thought, taxidermy, really? Is that what I think it is? He says, yes. I trap animals and then I stuff them. I thought, Wow. I've never heard anything. I grew up in the city. I don't know anything about that. Would you show me that? He said, I'd love to have you out. 
So I went to his house, and he showed me his whole setup about being able to do so, his traps and how he would trap animals, how he would do so with uh, stuffing these animals, and uh, oftentimes these were gifts for folks uh, in that. And so it was a great introduction to Dan's life. Well, last week I ran into him at Steve Donker's funeral. Uh, And Dan and I kind of reminisced about some of that, and I finally asked, Dan, how did you ever get into that? Uh, And he says, well, that's what my dad did. And if I knew if I wanted to spend time with my dad, I needed to learn how to do some of these things. Wow. Yes, knowing and being known is at the core of who we are as human beings and as God's beloved children. God demonstrated his love for us first by creating each one of us and giving us a purpose. And God continued to pursue each of us even as sin entered the world. God was searching the garden for Adam and Eve when they were hiding from him. Some of us have been hiding from God most of our lives. Others of us have been trying to get back to the garden wherever we can, whenever, however we could, but we find ourselves stuck in certain spaces. Uh, In my Bible... This, uh, as it opens up in the book of Genesis, this page represents all that God did to create the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, the animals, the vegetation, and you and I. This page describes the self-centered direction Adam and Eve went to defy God's standards, and sin entered the world. This is the rest of the story, what God did to restore a right relationship with his creation, with each one of us. After sending the prophets to communicate to him how much he loved him to no avail, God finally sends his only son, who becomes the image of the invisible God whom we now understand and know in the person of Jesus Christ. And he reveals his love and desire to be in relationship with each one of us. And it's described rather clearly here in the beginning of the Gospel of John. John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then skipping a little further into the gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson in the message translates that last verse of saying the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. This is known as the incarnation. Uh, It's a demonstration of God's love for his creation. He loves us so much to leave heaven and to show us the Father's love and enter all of our spaces. Jesus spends his life speaking about the Father's love, and he demonstrates throughout his whole life how we can love one another. William Spawn, a Christian ethicist from the Roman Catholic tradition, developed a concept called analogical imagination. 
that allows one to review Jesus' actions and instructions in their context and then connect them to the actions in the context of our world. Well, Spawn contends that the more interpreters are familiar with the specific details about the person of Jesus and the life he lived, the better they can employ analogical imagination to create an ethic in the way of Jesus today. In other words, we can't simply do what Jesus did. We need to understand the context to fully grasp how we might imitate Jesus' example and his principles and his actions in order to bring that into our context. So, with that being said, let's take a look at our scripture for this morning and see if we can understand what's going on then and figure out how we may apply that today. Betty Jo Bass is coming up to read our passage here for this morning from Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Betty Joe. Before we unpack what's going on in this passage, we need to know the context. Again, what Jesus is teaching, he's casting out demons, he's healing, and he's going about all around the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is a large body of water, but you can see across the Sea of Galilee. It's distant, it's faint, but you can see across it. Jesus had healed a leper, and word has gotten out. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, that he's, because this man seems to be telling everybody he can find uh, that would listen to him what Jesus has done for him, which is making it very hard for him to go anywhere without being recognized. Then he comes home to Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and he heals a paralytic, proclaiming that he can forgive sins, confirmed by the paralyzed man walking out in full view of the house that he was in. Now, the scribes and the religious leaders who were there were incensed and questioned, how can he forgive sins? Only God himself can do so. Now, Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee is the context where Levi's interaction takes place. Jesus has done these teachings. He's now kind of out and about, and he does these teachings as he passes by the tax collector's booth. And the more that you read the Gospels, the more you'll discover how much Jesus' ministry happens along the way. Things are just happening as he's going about. He's rarely stationary, and he seems to be moving about very intentionally. Jesus encounters Levi as he's moving along the Sea of Galilee and invites him into a relationship with the invitation, follow me, and Levi follows Commentators agree that Levi must be one of the most least liked persons in the area because of what he's doing for a living 
working for the Roman government collecting taxes. Now, the story is, is they often collected, nobody really knew what that payment was supposed to be. Only the collector kind of identified that. So it would be like uh, going to someone today, charging for something more than what was really necessary, and there was nothing you could do about it. You had to pay the tax. Or perhaps uh, it's like a bully uh, in your school who takes things from you, and you recognize, well, you have nothing you can do about it. They just get to do that. Well, these tax collectors are like this. And look at what Levi does after he has this encounter with Jesus in verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, he invites Jesus to his house along with the only other people probably in Levi's life, which were probably other tax collectors. Uh, They're the only folks that were part of his friend group, and they eat dinner together. Now, again... Uh, bringing significant questions to the religious leaders of the day. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And initially, you might think, okay, why is that a big deal? Well, because eating with something was far different than the way that we eat today. We have utensils. You have plates. You can kind of sit in your own space to do that. But if you're eating uh, with uh, dinner with folks and then, you are in each other's spaces because things are done family style, if you will. It's bowls that you're dipping your hands from and you're eating things of this nature as it's being shared around. It's a very intimate kind of experience. So uh, when you eat together, you're experiencing more of life together. So the Pharisees really have a legitimate argument regarding their law. According to the law, an Israelite who has placed himself in contact with a ritually unclean people became unclean as well. Leviticus and Numbers points out the, the violation of this law. But when they caught Jesus blatantly flaunting the law by consorting with sinners and eating with impure hands, with impure dishes, with impure people, they knew such a person could not possibly be God. Their assumptions prevented them from seeing what was really going on. God was not interested in cleansing appearances. He was interested in cleansed hearts. Jesus was coming into contact with broken and hurting people. But instead of these people making Jesus unclean, Jesus was making them clean. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage that we could unpack further, but for our purpose today, I want to focus on where Jesus is dwelling, or tabernacling, if you will, or tenting, as another translation point, uh, uh, describes this, among people that he encountered. See, if you're not paying attention, it's easy to miss how much Jesus is in someone's house all throughout the scriptures. Here's a few examples. The Gospel of Mark, after driving out a demon, the first disciples retreat to the home of Simon and Peter. That's where he heals Simon's mom, and she gets up uh, to serve them. Healing of the paralytic takes place in a home in Capernaum. Uh, Some think this might be Peter's house, but it's in that neighborhood. But he's in someone's house where this healing takes place. Jesus' dinner at Levi's house, uh, as in our passage today from Mark 2.15. Uh, A little bit later in Mark 5, Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house when he has the interaction with the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Uh, Along the way, again, this is happening, Jesus has this healing, uh, takes place for this woman, and he tells Jairus, who tells him uh, that he gets the word that things aren't good back home, and Jesus says to Jairus, uh, don't be afraid, just believe. And again, Luke describes the scene with Zacchaeus. 
also a hated man from the area because of being a tax collector. Uh, Jesus has dinner at Zacchaeus' house in Luke 19. Mary and Martha open up their home uh, to Jesus in Luke 10. And then toward the end of Jesus' life in Bethany, Jesus is anointed with perfume in Simon the leper's house. Jesus shares his last supper with his disciples in a guest room of a house in the city. Jesus makes it a point to show up in the most intimate places of our lives. And many of those are our homes. Levi is compelled to have his friends over to meet Jesus over dinner. Many, many of Jesus' encounters happen through his healings, uh, by grace, through his hope, and through future, uh, happen either along the way or engaged in somebody's home. Food is often present in these circumstances. Who of us doesn't like to go somewhere where there's a good meal? Uh, we're blessed by those things in big ways. And there's, there's an atmosphere that's created when food is part of a gathering in a home setting that draws us in with one another. Powerful things happen around the gathering of God's people who are sharing a meal. Celebrations of all sort happen in the most intimate spaces around good food. Weddings. We just celebrated Doug's. Celebr Doug was one of my students at Kuiper, so uh, I'm, I'm celebrating with Doug in this. Uh, anniversaries, hap uh, birthdays, retirement parties, tailgaters, breaking bread groups, community groups, uh, Thanksgiving's coming up here soon, Christmas, Easter, New Year's, all happen around food that take place in most times in someone's home. Now, I point all this out to kind of share a little bit of our family's mission statement and how this might help us to live out what God is calling us to do in the world. And this comes from 1 Thessalonians 2.8. For Paul writes, for we loved you so much that we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you have become so dear to us. Now when we share life with one another, we often do so in the context again, of our most intimate spaces, which includes our homes. We tend the most, uh, to be the most comfortable and at peace in our homes. And if you've been traveling at work or going on vacation, there's nothing like coming back home, is there? Well, now, before I go any further, I recognize that not everyone has had a peaceful experience in their homes. Some of us experienced anything but safety and peace at home. Others may feel that it's way too threatening to have another person in our own homes. It's way too vulnerable to have company in our house. Well, that's not the way that God meant it to be. Home should be a safe and secure place for everyone. Home should be the place where we get together, where we're encouraged and built up with one another and not taken down and harmed. And so my hope is that you have been able to create a place of safety and comfort and calm uh, now in this stage of life, though it may not have been this way always. Jesus seems to be very intentional about entering the most intimate spaces of our lives. Bob Rongling, uh, in his book, uh, Empowering Missional Disciples, talks about Jesus being uh, intentional about building community in three particular places. Uh, which we have kind of discussed before, and I want to highlight them in one of my more comfortable places over the last 20 years, which is around a marker board. 
these three arenas, we have, we've talked about it. Uh, we're talking about up, in, whoops, and out. Up with the Father, in with the disciples, and out with the world. This kind of creates the Jesus-shaped life. And there's more to this as we unpack it a little bit. So uh, part of this is something uh, Ronslin talks about uh, and, and quotes some sociologists have long understood that human beings instinctively gather together in four different sized groups that function in four different ways. And we see these four spaces clearly lived out in Jesus' life. The first space, we'll call it the public space. Here's like what we're doing here. We're in a gather, large gathering of folks around a common purpose. Uh, and, and as Jesus taught, you know, we hear the Sermon on the Mount and other places where large crowds heard the things that he was talking about. Uh, and it was really about helping to connect with the Father. And oftentimes the up is associated with the Father. Then there is the uh, little smaller space uh, called the social space. And this might be a gathering of 20 to 30 folks or so. Jesus experienced this with the 72 as he had charged them and sent them out. Uh, for us, this might be something like our Wednesday night gatherings or maybe a mom's time out or the if table or maybe even our Sunday seminars here happening a little bit later uh, this morning. Uh, next is the uh, personal space. Uh, this is more of a more intimate group, say four to 12 people. Uh, Jesus might have experienced this here with his disciples. Um, and here was more like the world, as we see this played out in the social sector and that. But now those personal spaces are more things like uh, perhaps a Bible study uh, or maybe a community group uh, or a, a place where, again, you're gathering with a smaller intimate group of people sharing and doing life together, a community group perhaps. And then the, the fourth space here is called the intimate space. And I'll put space here. And the intimate space is more closer group of people. Jesus even had this. Peter, James, and John. They got brought into places that other disciples didn't get the privilege to be a part of. For us, it might be our spouse, a best friend perhaps, or a mentor. You see, in these four spaces are the places where we get to develop the Jesus-shaped life. But what happens for many of us, we tend to only stay in one particular space and to think that that is enough for my relationship with God and what God has called me to do. But the reality is we need to experience all four spaces and engaged in what Jesus uh, desires for us to be engaged in, uh, not only in the context of doing relationships in intimate ways, but charging us and developing us and growing us into the disciples that he wants us to be that we might then make other disciples. You see, we have a mission purpose in statement. Our mission purpose is pretty clear. It's printed in one of our uh, documents that we have uh, on the counters back there, but we see it regularly. Growing disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to do. Uh, and so uh, if, if we're not engaged in all four of these spaces, then we're missing out on the capacity to be able to fulfill what God has called us to do. So how do we do this? What does this look like? 
Uh, Mike Breen, who wrote the book, Building a Discipleship Culture, said, if we make disciples, we will always get the church. But if we make a church, we rarely get disciples. Because it ends up just being about this, about the public gathering. Disciples are about growing in intimacy and taking that, that relationship and the growth and in intimacy into other spaces. Now, Jesus invested his life in entering people's intimate and social spaces, building a church that even the gates of hell cannot withstand it. Jesus invites us to follow him into space land, if you will. Uh, at fifth, I think we do a, a, a good job in this public uh, space, even from online, where we've been able to do that even through COVID. Uh, we've been able to develop a broad sense of a body to help us to connect with God the Father. Uh, but if we're going to grow, become growing disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be more engaged in the personal space that helps and leads us into the social space. Making the journey from the public space to the personal space can be easy for some and difficult for others. I get it. Uh, you know, it's hard at times to get out of our own comfort zones and engage in vulnerable spaces. Well, we are about to conclude the first round of our Breaking Bread groups uh, this fall. Uh, this has been a, an easy, non-threatening way to engage with folks and to share stories and to share uh, something beyond those public space and test the waters a little bit of vulnerability. Becky and I have truly enjoyed our Breaking Bread group here in this past couple of months. Uh, we are starting another round in January, and I encourage you to consider joining a group for the winter. Uh, you're going to get an opportunity to uh, sign on a, on a connection card or if you're interested, to email me. Uh, and I'll be happy to be a, make a part of this next wave of Breaking Bread groups uh, to be able to begin that sense of growth uh, of which God wants to have happen as we engage in some vulnerable experience of getting to know one another. We get to be company with one another. Another option with a deeper sense of connection is joining a community group. Several groups are meeting uh, more regularly now, and we plan to have an informational or uh, testimonial time in December uh, in one of our uh, community rooms here, coming up here soon. Uh, and so if you are interested, I would highly encourage you to come just listen uh, to what that's about, and uh, we'll get you uh, connected to some folks. And maybe you're even thinking, maybe you already have some folks that you're thinking about. Wouldn't it be good to connect uh, with each other on a more regular basis. We had this conversation with some of my friends Wednesday night about that. Uh, and saying that the more we can do that, the more encouragement, uh, the more support, uh, and the lack of, of um, uh, feeling like isolation is happening by, if we're intentional about gaining and, and connecting with each other. As we enter these more personal, intimate spaces, confirming our identity in Christ and acknowledging ourselves as Jesus' disciples, we become equipped to enter the social space, much more so than if we remain in the public space. And we got some options uh, for us. John was talking about it this morning. Kathy is um, uh, the person to connect with if we want to engage with Family Promise, which is trying to end homelessness in our, our city. Uh, another option is to be welcoming our refugees through the Bethany Christian Services uh, as a way to connect with folks that are coming from other lands, other spaces to come to know who Jesus is. And another option is to connect with our folks at Mulek Park uh, and ending literacy and helping folks to, to learn to read uh, as, a, as a way to be able to grow beyond their own circumstances. All of these spaces give us exposure to those who are not engaged in the church who can experience the love of Jesus and enter into their spaces and show Jesus' desire to be in relationship with each of them. 
Jesus made it a point to be in the homes of those that he encountered. He loved those he had passed along the way so much that he not only shared the gospel with them, but he shared his life with them. And we get to do the same. Much of Jesus' ministry and care for people happened along the way. He was intentional about being available and present to people's lives, including their homes, as in Levi. Got to be in that home, to be in an intimate and personal space, uh, avoiding what sought to be a violation of the law, but Jesus' intent and his purpose was far different than what the law was trying to prevent. Our hearts long for healing and acceptance, and Jesus entered the homes of many, demonstrating his knowledge and desire to know us in our most intimate spaces. So, as you consider what God might be saying to you this morning, think about joining a Breaking Bread group or joining us in December at our community group interest meeting. To give us a little bit of a picture of what might happen in a community group, I have asked Alice Miller, uh, Alex Miller to come and share her experience uh, with uh, being involved in a community group and identifying what are the benefits of that. Why should I risk my own public space and, and intimacy with folks by entering into a community group? What might be some of the benefits? Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Brian. Mm -hmm. The more we get together, the happier we'll be. I was singing that with Isla this week, and I thought, what a perfect, that's kind of true. <laughs> and when I think about the Jesus-shaped life, I think about community group, a lot like his disciples, a place where we develop more intimate relationships, we hold each other accountable, we encourage, support, and build one another up. And I've experienced that in our community group. Um, as I entered into motherhood and parenthood, um, my community group was by my side through that, praying together. We worship together, we serve together, we do life together. It's that core, it's that immediate family. And then the Breaking Bread group, what a blessing to meet with people, go through all seasons of life and get that wisdom and share that with each other and build a village. Instead of just having acquaintances that you kind of recognize faces on Sunday morning, we have more to talk about. We can enter into deeper conversation. And for Will and I, both were so important, that village of the Breaking Bread group and the community group. We moved here four years ago with no roots. Um, we came here because we felt God calling us for Will's job. So we had no family, didn't go to college in this area, didn't know anyone. And for me, that was hard. And I if it weren't for people welcoming me into their life and for me seeking that out too, I would have just wanted to go back to Pennsylvania where my family and my friends are and wouldn't have been able to live into that calling that God has for Will and I in this season of our lives. People praying with me through that, pointing me towards Christ in the t seasons where we all go through, where we're feeling hurt, doubt, tiredness, or we're off that path, these groups of people keep us coming. They help us keep showing up and pointing us towards Christ. And I've experienced that in ways that I didn't know. It's not just about the job that we, we thought God was calling us here for. That's a part of it. But now I know what it's like to invite people in to my life because I've experienced that through people. So I think these groups, community group and Breaking Bread, they're a place for you to go to be built up and encouraged and support so you can live out the triangle. But they're also a place for you to pour into other people. I'm just so thankful for the people in this congregation who um, are willing to pour into my, our lives and invest in relationship and walk through life together because it has become our village and our family, um, much like Jesus's example that he had. So um, just a great experience. Thanks for letting me share. Great. Thanks, Alex. Mm -hmm. Will you join me in prayer?
Lord, we are grateful that you are a God that loved us so much that you left the security in the place of goodness of heaven to come to enter into our world, into our space and experience life like we experience but yet was without sin. Because of that, we have the privilege of turning our lives over to you and experiencing your grace through your death and resurrection that we might have life and have it to the full. Lord, I pray uh, for each of us who are hearing this morning that we would not only get engaged in that relationship with you, but open ourselves up to the relationship with each other, to develop the intimacy and encouragement, uh, to grow as your disciples, to be able to help others to know what it means to be in a relationship with you by way we love one another. Your word says it's by our love for one another that others would know that we are your disciples. Lord, I pray that we would, as a body, exercise that love with each other that would draw people into a relationship with you. And it it happens in our homes. It happens in our places of work. It happens wherever we are. Lord, I thank you for entering into that space uh, in spite of our own humanity and the things that we fail at times. But we are grateful for your grace and your mercy that we get to start anew and fresh every day. And may today be a new fresh start as we think about entering into relationships with folks, maybe through breaking bread or through a community group or engaging in a ministry where we can serve you and help others come to know you. We thank you for your love, for your word. Lord, help us to be able to engage it, to understand all the things you want us to understand and to live it out as we practice what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.